Hello, 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 and welcome to the New York Mystery Machine. Tamina Hall, but for ghosts. But for the ghosts, indeed. Hey, Christina. Hi, how are you? I am so good. <laughs> I tell you why I'm so good, because our listenership has grown exponentially in Wild. the last few weeks, and if you're someone who knows me... Um, I am constantly looking at our listenership. <laughs> I send Christina screenshots of our listenership every day, multiple times a day. <laughs> I literally am looking at it on my phone right Adam now. Adam really loves I just like, looking at our listenership data. Yeah, we got data. 13 new listens to this week's episode in the last hour. Oh my God. Because <laughs> that was not the number an hour ago. It was actually 13 less. All so right. I didn't know until this moment that Adam was checking on an hourly basis. I mean, I'm it's not healthy. <laughs> I know that. Okay. I know it's unhealthy, but I tell you why. I used to check less mm -hmm. when less of you listened. Mm -hmm. And now that you're listening often, I'm like, well, how many? So are more? you saying our listeners are making you unhealthy? Yes, but in a good way. I like this. Don't stop listening just because I like this you're destroying just, No, no. I'm just so curious as like, you know, I love to see the audience size grow. And yeah. over the, I looked at our numbers from just under a month ago and our, the average audience size grew uh, 150 people. 150 new listeners. Just at people. least 150 new, 150 of you who are brand new to the show, who just started on this journey with us over the course of the last uh, month. Like honestly, not even like the last like three and a half weeks. And so, you know, I say it every time. We say it all the time. We're just very grateful that mm -hmm. you, however you found us, you found us, um, and that you know we feel like this nice little community. For some reason, you're. You like our antics. We we like that you like our antics. <laughs> and because you listen to our show, we antic more. Yeah. <laughs> so um, thanks for listening. And uh, hey, you're new to the show. You know what you can do as a new listener. That's what can so they helpful. do, Adam? The best thing you can do, first and foremost, from the tippity top, you have to subscribe wherever you listen to this podcast. Mm. So if you're on Apple Podcasts, click that subscribe button. If you're on Spotify, click that follow. If you're, if you're on, on Stitch Fixer. Yeah, whatever the other ones that you do, click the follow button. That's so important. The next thing you could do is if you're on Apple Podcasts at this very moment in time, listening to our voices, you just go to our page where you're listening to the show, scroll all the way down to the bottom, drop us five stars and a review. We love to hear from you as you listened to last week. We read your reviews online. And if you don't want us to read it online, just say, hey, don't read this online. We just or on air. On, oh yeah, We'll probably air. read it online. We'll probably read it online because <laughs> that's where it's living. Um, but yeah, so we love doing that. So just drop us five stars. Tell us what you like about the show. Um, tell us what you don't like about the show. Be like, hey, Adam should like be quiet. Yeah, more often we, tell we, us that you know we get people we take talk, we take we take criticism i get a lot of uh... we get a lot of criticism <laughs> mostly for christina yeah yeah uh, some for me but mostly for mostly christina. for me <laughs> it's important that we acknowledge that i keep dropping my phone and now i'm going to edit out the podcast both times i've dropped my phone that's on my lap um so do that that's the most important thing to do and that's the basic right like that's the free right. best thing to do then while you're on your phone, right. head on over to our socials at oh, NY Mystery yeah. Machine on the Facebook, at NY Mystery Machine on the Instagram, at NY Mystery Machine on the TikTok, and click that follow button or that subscribe or that like, whatever those are. 
or at NY Mysteries on Twitter. We know it's the odd social out, but we couldn't get NY Mystery Machine on the Twitter. So That's NY Mysteries. make their handles longer. In yeah. The and so there it is, right? Those are all the ways you can help us for free. If you want to help us in a way that's not for free, there's two more things you can do. I know this sounds like, why are they giving us this ad? But there's so many new people who are new to the show. I right. feel like it's important to... To let you know. So other things you, other things you can do is you head on over to our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash NY Mystery Machine. For as little as $3, you help us keep this show going. The, it, the people who give us money every month, guess what? Those folks, they're keeping the lights on. Yes. They got us a new, amazing little Scarlet sound box. Yeah. They, they are getting us these new microphones that we yep. have to order soon because these microphones are starting to, to bust down too. Mm. Super helpful, yeah, right? Yeah, appreciate it. Um, for as five, little as $5 a month, they also get a free episode every month. Pretty good. Two episodes coming out in the next few weeks, all brand new, yeah. just for for listeners who are on our pod, our Patreon. And the last thing you can do, which I which which I found out today, we are currently listed as a featured new store on our t shirt oh. shop. Yeah, Sam and Sam screenshot it to me. We're on the front page of belowthecollar.com. <gasps> That's where our t shirts are. Belowthecollar.com is the best place. I don't care. I don't care what you say. It's the best place to get T-shirts. It's the best quality printing on demand place. And that's why we chose to put our T-shirts on there. The quality does not go bad for years. I have T-shirts from that company from years now that has not faded a bit. So you go to belowthecollar.com slash NYMysteryMachine. We have some fun T-shirts, three designs. We have a few more coming in the new season. Um, So that's another way you can help support the show. And the final thing that you can do, and this is another free one. Oh. is we know that what happens is you listen to our show and in your brain you're like, actually, mm. I think this person did this. Yes. Like, I think it was like Mr. Green in the laboratory with the candlestick. Mm-hmm. If you're one of those people... I don't, don't know what clue game you're playing with the laboratory, but go on. You know, the laboratory and the clue game. <laughs> don't keep it to yourself. No. Send it to us. We'll talk about it. We'll research yeah. more and we'll throw it on air. So I put it on our Instagram this morning. If you have any theories about any of the episodes we've covered this season or even last season. We've got some feedback from last season again. Throw it our way. Email us, nymysterymachine at gmail.com. Slide into our DMs on the Instagram. We will take those and we will talk all about them on our season two finale coming out in June. <gasps> Damn. I'm feeling energized today. I was going to say. The studio is, is undergoing a little bit of changing. A little renovation. It, it's a good situation around here at the old NY Mystery Machine. So, you know... You guys make make us so happy. Yeah. And we're so happy to keep doing this. And we have so many more new episodes coming down the pipe. And uh, we just, we're just grateful. We're grateful that we're all in this together. Next time you um, do this housekeeping, Adam, I want you to say the entire thing like the um, old Southern Gentleman. <laughs> I think I ever got enough the old Southern Gentleman last <laughs> week. Truth be told, the, the old Southern Gentleman. Has to come out in limited doses. Benoit Blanc's long lost cousin. <laughs> All right. Well, there we have it. Um, that's all I got, Christina. Well, I'm going to ask the fateful question okay. I ask you so often. Where are we today? We're going to be in Troy, New York. Oh, Troy! I feel like we've done something in Troy before. Yes, we have. If you tell me it's it's, it's Hazel Drew, <laughs> unfortunately for you, it's Hazel Drew. <laughs> this is a good inside joke for me and Christina, and, <laughs> and I think slowly it's permeating. Permeating is the word. Yeah, permeating. It's permeating. All of yours, because yep. I think slowly you're realizing how much I dislike Hazel Drew's <laughs> episodes. Not because I dislike Hazel Drew's like story. It's just because 
when Christina did the Hazel Drew series, <laughs> those two episodes, I was just like, do we need two of them, though? And truthfully, we and, probably do. And do they need to both be an hour long? But you should still listen to them. And you do. You do listen to them. We tricked you. We tricked you. <laughs> Troy, um, New York. I also was permeating your consciousness because every time we have anything that's remotely something I can link to Hazel Drew, I bring her up. So it's just like embedded in your psyche. So today's story is an odd little one. Um, one shrouded in extreme uncertainty. Ooh. It's a double homicide. Thus Christina, completing. Yes. Did we complete the we're homicide cycle? Homicide cycle. You guys, we're not proud of this. <laughs> But if you listeners of the show know, we've done a lot of solo murders, a single. Um, the Gideon murders, which we spoke about a few weeks ago through my own era. <laughs> Almost got them twice. <laughs> was a triple homicide, yeah. a triple. And then... The Thanksgiving episode. Was a quadruple right. homicide, making it a home run. Right. And the only thing we were missing in the cycle was a double homicide. Well, I got that for you today. Well, I don't want to rejoice in this murder, but, you know, but. us... us uh, us fools for the macabre, right? Right. Can 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 toast the completion. Congratulations, Drink um, Mr. Machine. <laughs> you hit the cycle of murders. You've done it. You creepy, creepy <laughs> bastards. Creepy fuckers. Um, so one of the most unusual features of this case is the fact that while there is a conviction, right? There was a conviction. The culprit's identity was murky at best. So, Rick um, Pass sounds like a great, um, great uh, band name. It is a great band name. Uh, and she, this, this, this culprit, you know, we often, you know, it's hard to get, you know, we have convictions without bodies. It's really weird to have a conviction of someone whose identity remains unclear when you have the person right there. Mm-hmm. Um, so this person is most often referred to as the veiled murderess. Ooh, I know. The Veil would arrest. Right? My work. Can be uh, Murky at Best's first album. (laughs) (laughs) The new new single from Murky at Best. The Veil would (laughs) arrest. Our story, so our story takes place in Troy, like I said, um, in 1853. So for those who have not listened to the Hazel Drew episode, Troy is on the east shore of the Hudson River, roughly six miles north of Albany. It's an industrial city, um, and at the time it had lots of lumber mills and flour mills and plaster mills and slaughterhouses and tanneries and shoe factories and ironworking factories that produced everything from stoves to steam engines. Um, and it benefited as a city from the Erie Canal's proximity, and thus became a really bustling center. Um, and, you know, Hazel Drew would take place about a half a century after today's case to sort of situate that timeline. So... At this moment, in 1853, it's a moment of great political upheaval, um, with nationwide issues hitting close to home, issues of slavery, immigration, intemperance, etc. Over the course of 12 hours, straddling May 25th into May 26, 1853, two Irish immigrants would have a drink with their neighbor, known to them as Henrietta Robinson, and then fall ill and die. So let's back up. As far as folks can tell, in March or April of 1852, Henrietta Robinson, quote unquote, arrives in Troy and takes up residence in the 10th Ward. Which Are you saying, quote unquote, like that's not her real name? That's not her real name. Great. Um, uh, she takes up residence in the 10th Ward, which is near the dam of the northern portion of the city. The 10th Ward was known for its large factories, its Irish immigrant population, um, but it also had a couple of wealthier residents. 
Henrietta lives at number 627 River Street in a one and a half story cottage along with a maid and she hires a gardener to take care of the large front yard. She was apparently able to decorate it reasonably well. She had some upholstered chairs, some rocking chairs, some tables, and in what is probably my favorite description, according to Jean Winston Adler, who writes about this case in the book, The Affair of the Veiled Murderess, an antebellum scandal and mystery, she also had the, quote, Victorian equivalent of wall-to-wall carpeting, wool rugs tacked down to within an inch or two of the walls. So she's, you know, she's got a pretty nice little house. So at first, Henrietta was keeping to herself, but then she began, you know, to go to a grocery store slash bar nearby. Kind of love the idea of a grocery store slash bar, but here we are. Um, <laughs> just like, what a great combo. I got my eggs, got my milk. I guess I'll have a whiskey while I'm yeah, here. Yeah, why not? I'm here already. I think most grocery stores should have a bar in it. Right? Can you imagine how good, like, going to the grocery store would be? It's so be? much better. I mean, or tragic. <laughs> you have too many whiskeys at the bar slash grocery store yeah. and your eggs break on you're, the way home. And you're just like being, you're acting the fool. Right. Around the not perishables. I guess it would be only be good for like New York City where people like walk to their grocery store and not like anywhere else in the oh, country yeah, where you, you drive. Where you drive. That would be bad. Store. You can't have. All right. Take me. Take it back. It's not a good idea. No. It's not a good idea. Um, this particular grocery store bar. Um, was run by Timothy and Anne Lanigan, Irish immigrants from Tipperary. So the Lanigans were also new to the area with um, a bunch of children, uh, about four of them, age 12 and under. Uh, and theirs was a humbler abode in many ways than Henrietta's. Um, but nonetheless, it's worth it's worth noting. It's, it's worth, worth noting! noting! For a Catholic Irishman, Timothy Lanigan was actually pretty well educated. He could read and write at a time when most Irish. Uh... That sounds like an insult for, for a Catholic <laughs> Irishman. But, but it's true because at the time in Ireland, you know, the education system was really for the Protestant community and the wealthier community and your your average Catholic Irishman wasn't able to have access to it. Um, so they settle, they're here, they're enjoying their community and the Lanigans hold a couple of dances in their bar despite its relative smallness. Now, the second of these, Henrietta's more dramatic side starts to show up. So she was apparently standing there watching the dancing, wearing her finest clothes and hat. She never leaves without her finest hat. Oh, good. Um, And she shouldn't. And she shouldn't. And then a certain David Smith (gasps) asks her to dance. David Smith. Now, Henrietta says no, and they argue for a while at the bar. Now, Anne Lanigan was apparently right next to them. Um, but she like was trying very hard not to avoid eavesdropping, so she wasn't able to report much of what was said, but eventually she had to take notice because according to her later testimony, Henrietta, quote, pulled her pistol out and said if he ever insulted her again, she would blow his brains out. My husband came and said he didn't want any noise in the place, that they must leave from there. I went to her and told her to go home. I went along with her to her own door, told her to keep in her own place and nobody would insult her. But apparently, Henrietta was outraged enough that she returned to the dance. And again, Lanigan would later say, quote, she called for the young man that insulted her. She asked if Smith was there. She knocked on the door, asked the person who opened it. Smith went out and I heard nothing further, unquote. So she's already, you know, within like a year or so of moving there, she's threatening people with guns. Uh, Classic. (laughs) Classic Henrietta. Um, And then a few days later, Henrietta returned again. 
Adam, would you read oh, certainly. Mrs. Lanigan's trial testimony about the incident? Please note she's a Irish immigrant from Tipperary in case that influences your choice. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to every Irish person about what I'm about. <laughs> I'm so sorry. But you know I have. You've listened to the show at this you point. You know what's going to happen. We are 80-something episodes in. You know I have to do this. Got to do our best shot I'm here. so sorry. I told her that I didn't want any bother with her to go home. But she kept still talking. My husband got out of bed in the back room and told Mrs. Robinson that he wouldn't stand the noise and that she must leave the house. She asked him if he wanted to turn her out when she was such a good customer. He said he didn't want her custom. He wanted to have her go away. She said she wouldn't leave, that he would have to get a constable to turn her out. Yeah. That was good. I felt good about oh, that. Good. Yeah, good. If there are any Irish folk listening. I felt good please, about uh... that because after the edit, it's going to sound like I didn't take any breaks. <laughs> right. There you go. Just went right through that. Christina, Christina's like, yes, you did that in one solid one take. take. Um, my favorite, one of my favorite things that I just want to note because you made a face when you got to this part um, is that he said he didn't want her custom. Yeah. <laughs> is that how we get the word customer? Because you give someone your custom, so you become a customer. Okay. Is that the if you are, the word? if you are someone who knows words, let us know. Please let us know. You probably can Google it. We but could absolutely we don't Google want it, to. but I didn't, and we're not. <laughs> we don't want to. We have a lot of educators who listen to the show. That's mind true. You. We learned that. Learn that one. So all you. Uh, Last week we, we 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 spoke of a review of an educator of an educator from the Great White North. That's true. So if you know something about the origins of the word customer, please. Uh, Please uh, write in. So eventually Henrietta does leave and she sort of kept away from the Lanigans for a little while. And around this time, she began hiring some of the local girls to do some sewing. And this is how some of the first bits of her identity began to slip. She apparently told the hired girl, a girl named Mary Jane Dillon, that she, Henrietta, was the daughter of an Irish lord. Eventually, that shifted to a French lord. So can't keep her ethnic identity straight. Oh, boy. Then she had a cruel stepmother, but the next minute her own mother had given her a daguerreotype of herself to remember her by when Henrietta's father turned her out of their home because she wanted to marry a poor man. Mary Jane Dillon would eventually report seeing a middle-aged gentleman in Henrietta's house. Henrietta first said this was her own husband who worked for the railroad, but later on she said it was a member of the clergy from Albany, a Dr. Horatio Pottery, who would eventually become the Episcopal Bishop of New York in 1855. Oh. So, was it Horatio Bishop I'm going to say probably not was it her husband who knows husband's never around except theoretically these couple of occasions so in between sharing these lovely memories and having these visits from the unknown man Henrietta would apparently begin using obscenities that made Mary Jane Dillon really uncomfortable so like her whole manner and, and mode of speech would switch she told Mary Jane that she didn't like the neighbors and especially Dr. G.E. Buswell she said Dr. Buswell had given her medicine once and suspecting it to be poison, she fed it to the neighbor's dog who immediately died. <laughs> so all the confusing stories and obscenities and dog poisonings must have gotten to Mary Jane because eventually Mary Jane Dillon stopped coming around. And Henrietta's own behavior continued to be increasingly erratic and veering towards the violent. So threats to buy a gun and kill certain neighbors. There was a suggestion that maybe she was drinking too heavily and thus some of this behavior as a result. But, you know, the suggestion that she should go buy some extra guns and shoot some neighbors still seems kind of extreme. <laughs> hey, hey, uh, good idea, bad idea. She got some extra guns, just a few. 
There are a couple of reports, too, that, like, she had two guns that she, like, kept in her bosom, which I also really enjoy as an image of this this woman just walking around with some guns and then guns occasionally being like, I don't know, I'm going to shoot you. I got some guns in my bosom. <laughs> she once showed up to a police station claiming her husband had neglected her and even abandoned her in order to begin planning to marry someone else. And when the officer sort of humored her and questioned her um, as to who that might be, she answered, John C. Mather. Now, John Cotton Mather, yes, his name. His middle name is Cotton? Cotton, because guess what? He was a cotton wholesaler. Oh. From uh, So his parents named him John Cotton. Anyway, it's wild. His parents were like, this is what you'll do. So much that we're, <laughs> Destiny. Gonna, we're going to name you this. This is what you'll do? Yeah. So he worked with Cotton Wholesale. Uh, he also was part owner of a Troy Bank and a New York State Canal Commissioner. Now, one possibility put forward by Jean Winston Adler, who wrote the book I mentioned, is that John C. Mather was the man neighbors had seen in Henrietta's home, making Henrietta the mistress being kept in a fine house with fine clothes, which would sort of jive with the general situation that she had with these lovely hats and the lovely furniture. Now, Mather at this time was increasingly embroiled in political problems, becoming in 1853 the first person tried by the New York court for the trial of impeachments. He had been accused of seizing power of certain canal boards in a manner that violated state law. So if he wasn't around, it's probably these things that are keeping him away, not to mention Henrietta's, you know, increasing violent tendencies. But it's, it's important to keep in mind this John C. Mather figure. Now, on May 22nd of 1853... Henrietta went to the Lanigan store to buy crackers and a quart of strong beer. That's what they called it, strong beer. A couple of hours later, she sent her gardener to ask to borrow money. Now, this wasn't super unusual. Apparently, she had done this before and always paid it back promptly. But this time, Anne Lanigan denied it, claiming she didn't have the funds at hand, even though apparently she did. So while dealing with the gardener, Henrietta shows up and, is, you know, blusters in and is like, why is my gardener taking so long? Um, and so Anne explains to her that she didn't have the funds. She was going to see if she could borrow some to loan her. And Henrietta said, oh, I'm so sorry. I'll lend you $100 tomorrow. So it's a very weird exchange, but it seems to be testing the Lanigan's loyalty to her after all the times that she like caused a ruckus. Like, are they still trusting her? Like, sure, is sure, she, sure. you know, so some weird test here. A few hours later, Henrietta was back, this time with the very sad news that her husband had been fatally injured on a train. Another customer made a comment that, you know, sort of implied she didn't even have a husband. And she sort of stormed off into the kitchen, had some words with the men there, and eventually Anne forced her to leave. And then she was back again at 1 p.m. Okay. This time, she entered the kitchen again, which is where Timothy Lanigan and Catherine Luby were. So Catherine Luby was the sister-in-law of Anne Lanigan, and she'd been staying with the Lanigans for like a week while she was between jobs. Henrietta proceeded to sit down, eat an egg that was on the table. Love that detail. Um, and Anne began to offer her potatoes. So like, even though she's being denied money, the Lanigans are like still feeding her or like at least playing along with like trying to make nice. Um, again, Possibly because she'll threaten them with a gun. Then Henrietta suggested she pour them a beer. Anne said no, and Catherine said she didn't really like beer. But Henrietta insisted. She said she wouldn't leave till they all had a nice beer together. And then right on the heels of that, she asked if there was sugar in the house. And Henrietta said that she just what? wanted to add the sugar to the beer to make it taste better. Sugar beer. Sugar beer. 
sugar beer. Thing. I'm gonna have to try this sometime. One part, one part beer, one, one part, part sugar. Probably not one part, one part. Probably like a lot of sugar. A lot of parts beer, one part sugar. Sugar uh, beer. Sugar beer coming to a grocery bar near you. I can't wait to make the book of all these weird recipes. <laughs> it's be gonna fun. be incredible. It's gonna be incredible. So Anne sort of, I guess, gives in. She gets a saucer of sugar. And then goes into the bar to pour two glasses of beer. She didn't fill them all the way up. Remember, she doesn't even want this. But Henrietta, when she sees this, says, no, 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 go back. Fill them to the top. Oh, boy, Henrietta. So Han puts the beers down and goes and gets the jug of beer from the other room and brings it in. And as she returns, she sees that Henrietta was pouring sugar into the glasses and and topped them off with the beer. Now, Henrietta declined to have any beer. Uh Uh-oh. She just says, no. For me, it's not feeling. You guys need to drink this though. This sugar is real good, you guys. This sugar is real. It's a real great. This, stuff, this sugar is. I know it may taste initially weird, but trust this That's, sugar is sugar. Gonna change your life. So Anne's about. To, I like when you like three miles away. See, it's. Happening. I know. It's like. And that they couldn't. And the, they just. Whew. And Anne was about to drink. And Timothy calls her from the other room. So she puts the beer down. She goes and talks to him. Apparently, he wants to go downtown for something. And then she went to the grocery to gather something. He goes into the kitchen. And when Anne returns to the kitchen, Timothy is drinking the beer. Shortly after, Henrietta left and Timothy goes downtown. Now, the proprietor of whatever store he'd gone to um, just said that he looked absolutely ill. His lips were blue. He could barely, like, function. I don't know that he bought anything. And he goes home. At that point, Catherine was also ill, lying on a bed. So he lay down, and then Henrietta shows up again. This woman just will not leave. Um, So Catherine and Anne accuse her of doing something, which Henrietta denies. Um, She said all she had done was put in something good for everyone. So the symptoms... I put in something good for everyone. Yeah, okay? this is it was, good for you. It is sugar. It is good for you because it is sweet. It is, and it is yeah. most definitely... Absolutely. Promises, promises, not poison. Not poison. Who said poison? I poison. poison. I didn't say poison. <laughs> so the symptoms of the two ill patients included vomiting, severe bowel movements, all sorts of pains. Um, Timothy Lanigan died between 6.30 and 7 p.m. Catherine, meanwhile, seemed to show more promise of recovery, though in the end, too, she would perish. Now, an inquest was called for Timothy Lanigan's death um, extremely quickly. As we know, in these early eras, Carner's inquest just like show up on the spot and start conducting business. It's like um cool, dead person right cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, right. We got half the time they start doing the the autopsy right in the bed. Like, hold, let me get my scalpel and yeah. <laughs> cut our open. There we go. There we go. So they they convened this this Carner's inquest um, in time to get some deathbed testimony from Catherine Luby. Deathbed testimony. <laughs> Second album. Second of- album. <laughs> <laughs> I was literally like, that, that, that testimony sounds like a solid follow-up album. Yeah, <laughs> to the Veiled Murderers. To the Veiled Murderers. <laughs> um, <laughs> so according to Catherine, Henrietta insisted that Catherine drink, and not just drink the beer, but have all the sugar. Apparently, Henrietta went so far as to scoop the sugar from the bottom of the glass with a spoon and like force-feed it to Catherine. She was making sure she was having all of that sugar. Jeez. Investigators soon went to Henrietta's house, where they found, surprise, arsenic concealed yeah. in a slip of white paper hidden beneath the carpet. 
Other things found there were a box of jewelry, a locket, a watch and chain, and a, quote, a paper of Spanish flies, unquote, which apparently um, was something that's considered an aphrodisiac. Spoiler, it's not. But at the time, you know, they thought. And it was commonly used by courtesans and sex workers, um, although it can also be used as a contraceptive. They thought, again, we now know that is not true. Um, And so the investigators assumed the other things you know, like the pocket watch and whatever were stolen, but it's equally possible the jewelry was just hidden for normal wanting to hide it reasons regardless. It was uh, pretty damn clear that Henrietta had poisoned Timothy Lanigan and Catherine Lumby, and she was swiftly arrested, and yet, despite this, would not be tried for another nine months. What? Which we will hear about after the break. The New York Mystery Machine is brought to you in part by listeners like you. That's right. Head on over to our Patreon, and for as little as $3 a month, you can help keep the pod growing. By joining, you can access a whole bunch of cool stuff, such as mini-episodes, swag, exclusive playlists, and more. Head to www.patreon.com slash nymysterymachine to find out more and become a patron. That's www.patreon.com slash nymysterymachine and join our ever-growing community today. All right, we are back. Got a weird little story. Yeah, so... She clearly murders people. Yep. Clearly murders. Yep. Here's some sugar. <laughs> twist her, twist her <laughs> fake twist her, mustache. Her mustache. Um, arsenic's up. Arsenic's up her friends. Yep. 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 And um, doesn't get tried for nine months. You left us saying nine right? months. In fact, what I left out is sort of this funny detail where, like, while everyone's still dying, she shows up distraught at a police station, being like, "I'm so worried. I've been accused of poisoning." <laughs> Here, hold this. What's that? It's my poison, but don't worry about it. I won't use it on you. It's just for my protection. Like these guns. Here, hold 17 of them. So immediately we're we're here, you know, she's been arrested. um, And she has this complete breakdown with all of these hallucinations. Her trial ends up being delayed for a real variety of reasons. But finally, in spring of 1854, exactly a year to the day from the murders, it starts up properly. Now, I can't believe I wrote it again. It's worth noting. It's worth noting. That Winston Adler's assertion um, that Henrietta was involved with John C. Matthew, um, with John C. Mather was really backed up in this book. She she has the receipts in this book. Um so, according to her footnotes, there are even minutes from Mather's church in which he would, quote, essentially admit to his connection to Henrietta to the elders of his church on 17 July 1854, unquote. So as a result, it's interesting to track the who's who of the trial. For example, there is a completely friendly to Mather's political situation, like, team here of attorneys, judge, you name it, except for one guy. Martin I. Townsend. He's the only one who's like an actual somewhat political opponent. Um, and even one of the members of the defense team um, had tried to get letters written by Mathers from Henrietta just after her arrest. Sort of like showing up and be like, I just want to make sure like any letters you have, like 
don't cause problems for my friend Mathers. So Adler goes so far as to suggest that Mathers is probably paying for most of Henrietta's lawyers, with the exception of Martin Townsend, whom Henrietta retained herself, which makes sense. And Townsend sort of would much later in like the 1890s confirm this in an interview. Townsend would enter an insanity plea on behalf of Henrietta. Here's what Townsend would say about the case in the Troy Northern Budget on June 19th, 1898. So that that interview that I mentioned. Adam, would you kindly be uh, the voice of uh, Townsend now? What does he sound like? I don't know. Pick a New York um, lawyer established in weird politics of the industrial in my conversations with Mrs. Robinson in preparing for the trial, I could obtain from her no fact bearing on the case, and I could obtain from her no facts as to who she was or what she was or how and why the affair had happened at Lanigan's, and more than if she had been the most complete imbecile, and everything which I ever learned about the case had to be learned in the courthouse from the police officers who arrested her and from Mrs. Lanigan's testimony at the trial. And I came to the conclusion that Mrs. Robinson had not been educated among persons of intelligence and was a person of a very low order of intellect, although her manners and her conversation, as far as they went, indicated that she was a lady who esteemed a correct personal carriage beyond all price." I am now inclined to the opinion that the shock she sustained with her companion abandoned her with the alleged intent to form a lawful marriage completely destroyed the balance of her mind and that she had never recovered. Thank you, Adam. It's important to note, it's important to note <laughs> that there was, there was one period in that entire thing. Yeah, I love... The only time I took a pause was me honoring the only bit of punctuation that told me to. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of incredible. I feel like this has happened a few times with some of these older, yeah, yeah, yeah. where it's like, we're just going to keep going. It's like, you just you just kept writing, the just guys kept writing. kept writing down. Like, hey, is that a period? No? <laughs> Do you want, should I put a comma in here? No. no. What a semicolon? No, okay. It was just like, kept going. Just kept like, going. There it is. Um. So when Henrietta appears in court, it was through a heavy draping of veils. She had begun wearing these even in her cell, and when she was admonished by the judge in the court to remove them, she refused. Mm. So due to this uncertainty about her origins and this very eccentric dress, the papers start calling her the Veiled Murderess. The Veiled Murderess. The fourth day of the trial saw a bombshell accusation that suggested Henrietta was actually daughter of Quebec's Robert Wood, likely Emma Cecilia Wood. Emma Cecilia was from a wealthy and respectable family, attending a very good seminary for women and getting a respectable education, marrying a Canadian army officer who eventually would die. She then went through reports, married a surge in the army. They separated. And there is some evidence that Mather himself had, quote unquote, placed the article that came out with this information in part to shift his own scandals away from him and towards other prominent families embroiled in politics. So it's really sort of this this distraction technique. Like, look, we've got these wild, wild, you know, things coming in from other parts of the country. Look, look, look at her. Look at her. Don't look at me. Look at her identity issues. Um, Your go-to accent for like old is just like it's not even transatlantic. It's just like some weird. I don't know what it is. British. 
ish being <laughs> operative. Brit ish. Ish. Don't look at me. Look at her. <laughs> Jerry over there. Yes, 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 yes. You know what it is? Oh God, Ed's been playing this Star Wars video game and he's used this voice before in our D&D sessions but there's this one character who's like talking about this fit fit this fish anyway it doesn't matter I don't know what it is so I can't actually report on it but that's what it is and I think that's what I've stolen it from anyhow and Ed will never know because it's a little show (laughs) (laughs) so in the end Henrietta is convicted of first degree murder now various appeals kept the case finally I know They kept the case open a while longer, an entire other year, in fact, but a request for a new trial was ultimately denied. And on June 14th, 1855, Henrietta Robinson received her sentence. The judge asked if she had anything to say, to which she replied, quote, yes, a great deal to say, but I do not wish to be interrupted. I have been the victim of a conspiracy of you politicians at Albany, at which point she was indeed interrupted and told to be quiet by (laughs) by her own counsel. It's like, actually, don't you shut the fuck up. <laughs> we lost. <laughs> so there's, there is a newspaper report, too, that um, says in the conversation she had. But <laughs> I, was, I was thinking about people like, listen to this podcast, kids, <laughs> and pick where you want to go. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> We're so Whoops. sorry to any Real of you sorry, folks. who listen to this in the car with the kids. I'm so sorry, kids. But they're going to learn one day. Uh, yeah, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so there was a, a newspaper report that came out around this time that in the conversation she had with counsel, I guess when they're telling her to shut up, um, that all that could really be distinguished was the name John C. Mather. So again, there's this connection of this idea that there's a conspiracy. She says there's a conspiracy, right, of politicians and they apparently catch her saying something about John C. Mather before they hush her. When the verdict was read, Henrietta was pronounced guilty and that she would be hanged on August 3rd. Now that prompted outcry. Many believed that women should not be hanged. Um, and they pointed out that it is... And people were like, um, actually, we believe in equality. <laughs> now go do the dishes. <laughs> Equality. Equality. But it's funny you say that because they're, they're, the argument was actually that you can't, you shouldn't hang women because of an equality issue. Because um, if women can't vote and they can't serve on juries, you shouldn't be able to kill them. You know what? That's true. Which is, you know, a valid. Uh, Agreed. Yeah. I agree with that. You you can't kill someone by hanging them mm-hmm. if they can't, like, if they have no rights. Right. So the governor of New York did decide to spare her life, uh, although apparently Henrietta herself was kind of displeased at that point. She claimed she'd already made her peace with God. She would then spend 18 years in Sing Sing before eventually eventually being transferred in 1892 to Mateo Juan Hospital for the criminally insane. We have to make a list one day. Of all the... Because we we brought up Mateo Juan so much. Yeah. Gideon Murders? Yep. Mateo Juan. Do you know how I know about that? Because I, I researched it two weeks ago <laughs> for my episode. <laughs> um, official records indicate that when she died in 1905, she was 78 years old, but she claimed to be older. She claimed to be 89. Because again, mm. no one knows who the fuck she is. And at no point between the trial and her natural death did Henrietta ever reveal her true identity. And to this day, there is grave uncertainty as to her actual name and family history. There would be attempts after attempts and theory after theory to figure out just who she was, though, for the rest of her life and even after. 
So Adler does a marvelous job tracing all of this and the political intrigue that the case distracted from um, perhaps even helped try to cover up. And truthfully, it's far too dense for our little podcast. I learned my lesson after Hazel Drew. Um, but, you know, maybe we can return to some of it in a Patreon exclusive at some point. Um but suffice to say, there were suggestions of various branches of the Wood family, of connections to English nobility, of connections to parts of Ireland because of the hallucinations I mentioned she had. Apparently had like a lot of Irish folklore elements. Oh, boy. Um, and when Henrietta died in May, on May 15th, 1905, the New York Times recorded the following. Securely sewed into her needle case, the authorities found after her death a locket and worn piece of paper upon which was written, when first I saw this world of joy and pain, assailed by doubt that ever will remain, I wondered what it meant to live, to die, the question oft I pondered, but in vain. And the sensational image of a, of a woman in a veil would become imprinted on the public consciousness in a variety of ways. So at the time, veil suggested um, illicitness and impropriety and, you know, things that Victorian publics both abhorred and also like super clung to, kind of like rubberneckers on a highway. Um and the trope of a veiled woman with an identity mystery shows up in works like Wilkie Collins's 1860 The Woman in White and other fiction. But it seems based off Adler's work that um, much like Hazel Drew, um, Henrietta was, in, you know, ensconced in this world of politicians as a mistress, um, seems to have had some kind of breakdown um, at various points or was unstable because of the way she felt she was being treated by this politician um, murdered a couple people for fun and um, and then that politician paid for her counsel tried everything possible to sort of like distract from his own involvement as well as his his own political scandals and that's the story of our veiled murderess we still don't know who she is and here's to you Henrietta Robinson <laughs> the veiled murderess is in fact you Ooh, <laughs> what's that you say, Henrietta Robinson? Put some sugar in your beer. It'll taste better that way. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. I want, I want the full song. I want the full rewrite. <laughs> For Patreon exclusive. exclusive. You want the full rewrite. You got to go to our Patreon. www.patreon.com. Last, <laughs> Last year we did um, an operetta. Uh, of the Jersey Devil on air this year we have Henrietta Robinson yeah. we also did what else did I do I did that weird um, did like a pirate song at one point didn't I oh, oh I did the the, the, the the cannibal oh yeah the cannibal of Austerlitz of Austerlitz yeah so it's a very musical little very, yeah welcome to the show everyone come for all the cult stuff stay for the what <laughs> <laughs> What, what did I sign like, up for? What did I get myself into? Oh. I'm gonna unfollow. Just kidding. Don't do that. Don't don't yeah, don't do that. Well there there you have it. They have it. It's had. There it Story is. Story of the veiled murderess. Well there you have it. Once again, apparently. Um if you'd like to to give us your theories, like I said earlier in the episode, please reach out to us via social media or our email address. All that's in our show notes. And um, in our show notes is also all the things I, I open the show with. Uh, all the ways to support us. Patreon, t-shirts, all that jazz. We're back again next week. We are uh, zooming our way all the way to the end of season two. Woo! What a crazy year it's been. Crazy year. We're so excited. All right. Well, I've been Adam Ace. I've been Christine Marinelli. And thank you for taking a ride on the New York Mystery Machine. Tell me all but for ghosts. <laughs>